0: I V M Chapter 2 Opportunity knocks Open the door When you're new in business, ask questions without worrying about what people will say or think. At worst, they might say no. When you start from scratch, you've got nothing to lose. Setting your laser sights on the goal doesn't allow insecurities or manufactured fears to get in the way of your dream. You can't let that happen. You won't let that happen. One of my first forays into business was hardly a romantic fairy tale, nor did it come with the high-adrenaline rush of my later entry into the media. Rather, my creation of laser brushes in the early 1980s was more about balls than brains. Laser brushes didn't come about because I had a brilliant glimpse of insight or had hit upon a unique idea whose time had come It was born and succeeded because I recognized the growth potential for a simple product that offered to fill a vacuum in India's growing market That and the fact that I was young hungry and blissfully naive so much so that I didn't let my inexperience get in the way in my early 20s I did some front-of-television anchoring and had flown to the UK to learn more. Back then, my dad was the managing director of a company called J.L. Morrison, the makers of Nivea cream, hairbrushes, toothbrushes, and other personal care items. As fate would have it, my dad was in London the same time I was. He invited me to tag along for the Addis Hair and Toothbrush Factory Tour. As we stood in the corridor waiting for our guide— I spied what appeared to be two brand-new machines waiting to be installed in the factory's toothbrush line. The units were of drab grey metal, broad, two metres high and a metre wide, not imposing, but solid and built to last. They were like nothing I'd ever seen in India. I asked a host who had just arrived when the machines would be installed. He looked at me as though I'd gone mad. Those are headed to the scrap heap, he said with a shrug. What looked like new machines to me had actually been cranking out millions of toothbrushes for two or three years. So, as is typical for Western companies, it was time to get rid of them. Scrap, I asked, incredulous. They're only three years old. Already my mind had drifted to dreaming. Obviously, if that's what he called scrap, he didn't know much about India's business ecosystem in the 1980s. In the UK... Machines were considered old before they had even been broken in. Back home, they would be cutting-edge technology. Right then, I knew I had to make him an offer. How long can a machine like this last? He thought for a moment. Ten or twenty years, I suppose. My eyes widened. Could you hold these for me for sixty days? I asked with a smile. Everyone in the room looked at me skeptically. After all, in their eyes, I was a 20-something kid. Still, they politely agreed to let me inspect the machines. At the very least, they must have thought this would shut me up. Those were the early days when I wasn't always clear about the future. I didn't know much, but I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. What I understand today is that entrepreneurs are built from the ground up by immersing themselves in the world and taking more than a few shots on the chin before succeeding. Today's entrepreneur needs to be more fundamentally rounded than those starting out 10 or 20 years back. She needs to get the big picture faster, quicker, and better than anyone else in the room so she can make commercial sense of the information in front of her. My own background didn't suggest any great acumen with figures. I'm Parsi, not Gujarati or Marwari. But I had an innate curiosity and a desire to understand the world around me, to make sense of the long-term implications of business transactions, to get a 360-degree perspective on things. All these are key to recognizing opportunity. When you open your mind to really seeing and pursuing opportunities, you'll find them. The higher your antenna, the keener your observation skills and your alertness, the more open and curious you are, the more likely you are to find an idea worth pursuing. That's when opportunity strikes like lightning. On that visit to London, I was open to any and all experiences and had zero agenda. I've been in that stage ever since, open, disruptive, curious. And there I was, standing in a British brush factory, staring at two bulky, grey, state-of-the-art toothbrush machines, Without a rupee in my pocket, no clue about the oral hygiene industry and no strategy to import these hulking boxes back home. At that time, India still had a serious foreign exchange balance of payments issue, so second-hand machines could be imported. We made the numbers work and the deal was accepted, but only after a bit of frustration on the seller's part when I asked him to hold the machines for me for a month or two. He tilted his head and looked at me as if to say, Who is this guy, and why is he giving me this huge headache? I guess out of kindness to my dad, he decided to be supportive. Importing the machines and getting another decade or more of production out of them in India made perfect economic sense to me. At that time in India, in certain sectors, multinationals, MNCs, outsourced production to local entrepreneurs and small-scale industries as they couldn't themselves set up manufacturing. Wait a minute, I thought. The companies making toothbrushes are Procter & Gamble, Colgate and others. They can't make these on their own, so they must be outsourcing their orders. That means there's a market for our product. As soon as I hit the ground in Bombay, I went straight to them like a bull in a china shop to convince them to contract us to make toothbrushes. Simple as that, right? Wrong. I was diving headlong into business sectors that I knew absolutely nothing about. I could have scrawled every bit of information I had about the toothbrush industry on the back of a business card with room to spare. But half of everything is logic and intuition. The rest is deep knowledge, research, expert opinion, and data crunching. I knew where to find the information. For the first time, I trusted my intuition. The single trait every entrepreneur possesses, to seize the opportunity. Without resources, funding was my next hurdle. Today, when I hear aspiring entrepreneurs share their worries about their first funding, I remember the feeling all too well. But the truth is, your first funding is your easiest. Bigger deals that require more capital come later in life, when there's much more riding on the line. So back then, I did what I recommend to all would-be entrepreneurs. I found a way or made one. I fought like hell to get appointments with companies, leveraging every ounce of influence I had in Mumbai. To my delight, they were immediately interested in the machine's advanced technology, a first for India. Get the machine so you can begin production. What else do you need? One executive prodded, anxious for us to get things up and running. At that time, the machines were still sitting in a London brush factory. That's when I mustered the courage, or insanity, to ask for a purchase order. A purchase order? One of the business suits sparked. You're not even in business. You need to exist first and be listed on our register before we can make a move. What will it take, I asked, training to mute the exasperation in my voice. Get yourself registered as a company and give us your whole plan. I was learning as I went, using my youthful exuberance as a cover to ask for things no seasoned pro would have asked for. When you're new in business, you can get away with such things. When in doubt, always ask questions without worrying about what people will say or think. Hell, what's the worst that can happen? They'll say no. Who cares? When you're starting from scratch, you have nothing to lose. The business suit eventually relented a bit by giving me a 120-day letter of intent, not a purchase order, which required us to manufacture the brushes with the promise of later orders if the sample products were up to their standard. That meant we would still have to foot the cost of production. So what did I do? I made the audacious request for an advance payment. The answer was a flat no. But here's the thing. My willingness to fight for an extra advantage and scrape for extra capital communicated my seriousness of purpose and focus on achieving the goal. Still, with all that, I hadn't cracked the code on landing capital. Fortunately, the banks were willing to work with me. My collateral was the machines and my person guarantee, which at that point was worth exactly zero. Venture funding just wasn't there, but banks had quotas for loan that had to be dispersed to small and medium-scale manufacturing. With our blue-chip prospective clients and investment in high technology, we were viewed as safe customers. In those 120 days, I needed to find a colleague, co-founder or CEO, since I was clear this wasn't going to be my full-time occupation, identify a technical director woo him from an established company and dispatch him to UK for two weeks training, recruit a core team of workers, understand everything about oral care, learn about the business of manufacturing toothbrushes, work out how to source plastic, molds, handles, nylon, bristles, wire, packaging and more, scout for a factory location, turn on the power and secure all the permissions. I came to understand in those first 60 days of pre-planning that it was not in my DNA to manage a factory floor, the logistics of raw materials, and a manufacturing business. Rather, I knew I could best serve the business by building a strong customer base, working with banks to help us with capital to grow, sourcing the best global technology, and most importantly, backing the team and staying the course through thick and thin. When the smoke cleared, we missed our timeline by about 40 days, mainly due to delays in permission. But we were in business. Too often these days I hear people say, I need to do my research, and I am doing some homework as dilatory tactics to put their dreams on hold. Research and homework are vital, but deep knowledge comes from doing, from getting your hands dirty, and from asking the questions others are too afraid or embarrassed to ask. Setting your laser sights on the goal and getting to work doesn't allow insecurities or manufactured fears to get in the way of your dream. You can't let that happen. You won't let that happen. Dreaming with your eyes open means being alert to challenges but refusing to let them stop you. All manufacturing has its ups and downs, and we weren't immune to a lack of orders and a hundred other things that could kill the business before it got off the ground. Many a time, we'd wonder if it was worth making forward investments in upgrades when our clients could potentially just cut us loose in lower-order months. But having the balls to stay with the best equipment saw us through most of our downs. We were proven right. Our growing list of clients, seven at our peak, recognized our clear advantage in quality because of our investment in technology. While the first two machines were from the UK, the number one technology in the world for toothbrushes was from Belgium, so we got that technology on board. Fully automated and brutally efficient, those Belgium machines cranked out toothbrushes at a scale previously unheard of in India and put laser on the toothbrush map. In our first year, we started at about half a million brushes. Over the next eight years, we ramped it up to four million a month, Nearly 50 million a year We needed to fund this growth But at the same time Our reach could not exceed our grasp Our most important task Was to build credibility With the banks They were with us from day one I felt it made sense to stay with one bank Or at maximum two banks To build comfort and convey the message That our interests were aligned For all the raw materials and overheads We got working capital limits by Collateralizing our receivables, and for our capital expenditure, we had five to seven year loans serviced from our profits and depreciation. We really did not miss external venture funding, and in a way, we were relieved we never took any. Over that decade, we grew to scale because we took advantage of the largely untapped Indian market. In India at that time, toothbrushes were used by less than 15% of the population. If you're a young reader, this might surprise you. Most people back then used Ayurvedic tree barks to scrub their teeth in the morning. Having said that, even today, toothbrush penetration in India is less than 40%. The drill throughout my involvement with toothbrushes was a daily morning or evening call with the core team and a visit to the plant every Saturday, first by train to Thane and later as we grew to Kalyan and then Pan-India to Gujarat and Karnataka. Every weekend was spent at an alternate location. I was fortunate to have phenomenal team members who kept in close touch with our corporate customers and assured them of multi-location benefits. I started off with a co-founder, Manoj Mehra, a friend from school who contributed a lot during the first two years before he moved out and migrated to North America. At that stage, three colleagues joined to head management, technology, and operations, Mohan became our CEO, Murtoso our operations head, and Rusi our technology expert. With our daily calls and weekend full-day site visits, we were in complete sync with operations, growth, and how to deal with challenges. They all stayed till the end. As the company grew, I invited them to become co-founders. That's how we got to scale. And thanks to the core team and the great team under them, I could go on to build a media and entertainment company from scratch. Team building is critical at all times, but even more so when you're not involved hands-on. Not everyone you bring on board will perform at peak capacity from day one. Some take a while to get into their roles. But as a leader, you need to give each individual a clear mandate, the freedom to operate and make mistakes, and unstinted support. Treat your team members like colleagues and not employees then watch them shine. I say this not because it's a great HR exercise, but because that's the reality guiding a successful business. Laser Brushes is one of my best attempts to build a great team. Mohan, Multoza, Rusi, and others had my full mandate and support, had a sense of ownership as co-founders, and the confidence of their customers. They felt more accountable to themselves than to me, and in a short period, they had become true blue entrepreneurs. I was only the catalyst and the cheerleader. Mostly, I put my faith in them and believed in them. Every day, I draw from the lessons learned more than two decades ago. My first major league leap into entrepreneurship taught me how to spot and seize opportunity, understand the power of untapped markets with no glass ceilings for growth, and see inflection points where others saw uncharted Dangerous territory I also wasn't afraid to look stupid By asking rookie questions The sooner you can train yourself to do that The sooner you'll achieve your dreams Make no mistake Those first 120 days When I had to scramble and learn the industry were some of the most intense of my life And the sharpest learning curve I've ever been on Preparing me for many other steep learnings in life More than once I thought Okay, this isn't going to work out. Let me just pull the plug now and find something else to build from the ground up. But we didn't. Stepping into action, staying the course during those months when we didn't have a single order, learning about a logistically complex industry, and figuring out how the hell I was going to build a company from only the cash flow generated when I didn't have a rupee on my name. These aspects please me most about the story of laser brushes. Summary Chapter 2 When Opportunity Knocks, Answer the Door Today, more than ever, you need to see the big picture faster, quicker, and better than anyone else in the room. I hear of many aspiring entrepreneurs postponing or prolonging their decision-making and growth plans on the pretext of completing their research and homework. The time taken to do this could potentially be an opportunity lost. Half of everything is logic and intuition. A lack of funding can never prevent you from starting or growing your business. My DNA compels me to just go for it with full confidence that I'll figure out where the money will come from. It's not a strategy or a solution, but an approach. And if well thought through, it can and will work.